Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumb Cast. In this, the high noon of season five, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on every goddamn page of MT2, the Weird Weird West, the second in a trio of time travel adventures for TSR's Marvel Superheroes RPG. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. The Weird Weird West was written by Ray Winninger and published in 1989 by TSR. Today we're discussing page 10 of The Weird Weird West. Yesterday we began the adventure proper with chapter 1, No Time Like the Present, and today we continue that chapter. Uh, You'll recall from last time that our heroes have kind of sort of figured out how to fly their time machine at this point, but the power receptacles or whatever the fuck are all messed up, and so the GM gave us a little yarn-based number-crunching puzzle to solve to represent our characters trying to figure out how to fix a time machine. Today, the results of that puzzle. The time machine works. It works no matter what you do. Basically, you're just going to get taxed health or karma if you didn't do well on the puzzle. The good news is, if you're not very good at puzzles or would much rather have your player character die than spend even five minutes trying to group solve a logic puzzle at a role-playing session, there's an option here, very generously, to allow our characters, intellect and mechanical aptitude, to have some relevance in these proceedings. I mean, it's mainly on the players who don't exist in the fiction to fix the time machine, but I suppose we can allow our avatars in the game world to get into the mix too. Sure, Tony Stark, you little scamp, you little rascal, you can apply your brain power to fixing the time machine too. Just quietly think in the corner while we, the players, the grown-ups, try to arrange this fucking yarn. Quote, before the heroes start tinkering with the, quote, power puzzle, allow anyone with the repair slash tinkering talent to make an amazing intensity reason feat roll. If the hero receives a green result, reveal one of the perfect connections. If the hero receives a yellow result, reveal two of the perfect connections. And if the hero receives a red result, reveal all three connections. The author doesn't understand how intensity works. As a quick reminder to you, the listener, there's this table. It's the universal table. There's a column for each power rank. Feeble, poor, typical, good, excellent, remarkable, incredible, amazing, monstrous, unearthly, railroading Nazi bullshit, cosmic. I mean, not verbatim, but that's how it basically breaks down. You roll your dice, you find the row on the table for the number that you rolled, you trace across that row to the column representing your power rank, you're going to find a cell, and that cell is going to be a color, white, green, yellow, or red, and that tells you how well you did. The higher the number you rolled, the better you do, and the better the power rank, the better result a given number gets. So for example, a 50, a roll right in the middle, is going to be a failure for someone with a feeble power rank, but a success, maybe even quite a good success, for someone with an unearthly power rank. But whichever rank you have, 60 would be better than 50, and 90 would be better still. The way intensity works is that you say, this task is sort of challenging for a character of this level, right? Like, a remarkable difficulty puzzle is challenging for a character with remarkable intelligence. If you've got a power rank equal to the intensity, you have to roll a yellow. A green won't cut it. Normally a green's a success, but no. Not if the intensity equals your power rank. If you have a power rank under the intensity, you actually have to roll a red. You have to get the very best possible result to complete a task with an intensity higher than your power rank. If you have a power rank higher than the intensity of the task, then you roll as usual. Green, yellow, red, they're all successes, to various degrees. When you double up intensity with requiring a specific color or better on the table, it doesn't stack. It doesn't work that way. If you have amazing reason and you're attempting an amazing intensity feat, what that means is you have to roll a yellow. So when the author here says you need at least a yellow result, that doesn't mean anything in addition to intensity. 
all it does is demand that even if you have a power rank above amazing, you still need a yellow, which isn't how intensity is meant to work. The author could say, just straight up roll and try to get a yellow result. The only difference would be that would allow characters with lower intelligences to possibly have a chance. By setting the intensity at amazing, but then providing that even if you have a higher power rank, you still need a yellow, you make it so that if you have a reason under amazing, which by the way, north of 90% of all characters will have a reason under amazing, then you need a red result to succeed. But if you get one, then you're going to ace this because the author provides that if you get a red result, you get extra information. So whether you're Reed Richards or my favorite ionic punching bag, Wonder Man, if you roll a 99 on this, you totally ace it, you fix the time machine, you get all the wires in the right place. But for Reed Richards, who is basically at the top tier of intelligence that this system has for regular mortal beings with a reason of amazing, and he has relevant talents that should push his effective stat up to monstrous for this task, he is after all an expert in, well, everything, but like including physics and time travel and all that. He should have an effective monstrous or better for this, which means he should be able to succeed on a green, but he can't because the author has turned the dial twice just to fuck everything up. This ends up reducing the difference between the outcome you'll get if you're Reed Richards and the outcome you'll get if you are Wonder Man, which is independently a bad idea, and I think not what the author was trying to do. Hopefully he will not make this mistake again. On this page. He's going to make this mistake again. On this page. So anyway, whether you figure this whole thing out uh, by your own merits as a player, the high road to role-playing success, or like a cheat and a thief, you depend upon your character's technological ability to determine if they can perform technological tasks. If you make this roll to some degree, then you get either one, two, or three of the ideal wire positions. Incidentally, there are two correct answers here. Stop now. Anyone who intends to attempt this puzzle but has not yet completed it. The two perfect solutions to the puzzle are red wire connecting 10 to 8, blue wire connecting 7 to 9, and the yellow wire connecting 6 to 1, and alternately, yellow wire connecting 10 to 5, blue wire connecting 7 to 9, and red wire connecting 6 to 4. Both of those yield 41 power for the time machine, whatever that means, and if you got it, then that's going to save you some health or karma or something later on. We'll find out very soon. I forget the details because they don't matter. It's just punitive bullshit. It's like the GM saying, and now we will play a game of battleship. And if I beat you, then in the next encounter, there will be five more orcs. It's like, okay, great, fine. Like, what does that work out to? I'll probably take 10 more damage. Do you want 10 hit points up front to not play battleship and roleplay, which was our plan tonight? Because I'm willing to pay that cost. Once we've completed the thrilling power coupling scene, business picks up. Quote, just after the heroes rewire the console, a loud alarm begins blaring through the entire timeship. Checking the console, the heroes will find that one of the view screens reads, Situation critical. Temporal disturbance emanating from 1871. Delta Mark Mark 17X55. I have to admit this is pretty cool. This idea of a time machine where if there's a disturbance in space-time, something that you might need to go inspect, then a loud alarm begins blaring through, quote, the entire timeship which is a weird way to describe a timeship that is like a 12-foot circle. It's almost like this image of the resounding warning sound echoing through a time vessel maybe came from some other place, and the author just kind of consciously or unconsciously patched it in here, despite the fact that this tiny-ass timeship doesn't really need a resounding alarm. Anyway, it's a cool image, good idea. I'm shocked that no existing time travel adventure series has used this before. But no time to lay bare our influences now. 
the time-space alarm is blaring, we have to take action. And what kind of action? Why, an amazing intensity reason feat. Quote, allow everyone present to make amazing intensity reason feat rolls. Anyone who receives a yellow result or better on such a roll figures out how to operate the console to receive a more detailed report on the disturbance. Such a character will learn that certain eras of time, both past and future, seem to be disappearing into the disturbance centered around 1871. This piece of information is not going to wreck the adventure. It costs the judge and it costs the author nothing to let the player characters have this information. It's an optional foreshadowing and warning of what's to come. It may give the player characters a marginal ability to prepare for what they're going to encounter. So why, once again, fuck with the intensity rules? You already need a reason of amazing. You need already a Reed Richards level intellect to succeed even on a yellow. I mean, a relevant talent could increase your effective score here by a column shift. But even assuming that we've got Reed Richards with his specialty in time travel making this roll, he only has a 50-50 chance to get a yellow result. You've got to be smarter and better at mad science than Reed Richards to exceed this intensity. In that event, if you have a monstrous intellect and are smarter than Reed Richards, or you have like a super specialty in time travel, so you're like specifically a time traveling inventor from the future or something like that, like someone like a Kang, and this is precisely your jam, like this is exactly what your character is about. Why fuck you over by changing the normal intensity rules so that you still need a yellow result and will still, likely as not, blow this roll? I don't think that was the author's intent. I think the author continues to not know how the intensity rules work. So in all likelihood, we don't know what we're getting into in 1871. We don't know that that time period is like sucking in other time periods. All we know is that the time machine says there's an emergency in 1871 the urgency of the alarm persuades us that despite the fact that this is happening over 120 years ago, we need to hurry, or at least distracts us enough that we don't think about it. So we jump right in the time machine, and we go right back to 1871, and that's where we move to chapter two tomorrow. But we're not done with this page. There's another little order of business here, which is, what do you do if you didn't play through all this in World War II, and your characters do not, therefore, have a captured time machine? Quote, if you did not play through MT1, all of this in World War II, your players probably do not have access to a time machine. In this case, if one of the heroes is a scientist of some sort, S.H.I.E.L.D. will have given the group a time machine which S.H.I.E.L.D. operatives captured on an earlier adventure so that the heroes can study it and turn in a report. Yes, S.H.I.E.L.D. is back. We're going to pretend that it was never gone. Reports of their death were not only exaggerated, but are now classified. If you're starting here with MT2, you never have to know that S.H.I.E.L.D. was gone. So that's one unpleasant thing you get to skip. You're even luckier if you have an unbalanced team with no science characters on it. Quote, if none of the heroes are scientists, S.H.I.E.L.D. hires them to provide security for a time machine recently captured by S.H.I.E.L.D. operatives. In the middle of the night, with no one around, the alarm described above goes off, prompting the heroes to investigate. In this case, pick up play with the alarm. If you didn't play through the first module, didn't pony up for it, did not pay TSR for module number one, and because you'd never got the advice that you should have a balanced super team from that book, nobody on your team has any particular intelligence, scientific aptitude, or mechanical training, then you just get to skip the logic puzzle and go right to the part where there's an alarm telling you you have to go back to cowboy times. I'm happy for these four to six beefy brainless randos who decided to start this trilogy of adventures on part two. They just get a free pass. They don't need to do a logic puzzle. So congratulations. It is considering their position, though, that really emphasizes the dumbest thing in this page. You can go to the visual companion to check this out. I'm going to put it there for the sake of completeness, even though there's nothing particularly to see in this illustration that I can't describe. The illustration on this page has the Orfu timeship from MT1 appearing again here. 
It's surrounded by, I don't know what, all kinds of shit. It's not clear to me what's happening. Is it in a stormy field? Is it in the middle of a time vortex? Is there some kind of rocky outcropping here? I, I just don't know. I can't tell. But I can see the machine clearly enough, and I can see that this time machine, which has been uh, captured, studied, repaired, and to some extent mastered by our heroes, or possibly nameless scientists at S.H.I.E.L.D., this machine still has that fucking band of swastikas on the top. Why has no one painted this time machine? S.H.I.E.L.D. has a perfectly nice logo. It's got that that nice little eagle. Put a bunch of those on the top. Or, you know, if you're going to be jumping around in time, playing Sam Beckett, putting right what once went wrong, maybe you don't want it known to everyone exactly which government agency is taking over the timeline. So maybe you could just paint it over with just a solid color. Anything would be better than swastikas. You don't want to be making covert missions to pivotal moments in history with a big, bold band of swastikas on the top of your vessel. This is especially glaring in the case of parties who start with this adventure, because at least if you played the last adventure, you know that this is a captured Nazi timeship, so you could somehow justify why the design couldn't be changed. If you start with this adventure, you have no context or background that this is a Nazi timeship. It's just a captured alien timeship. And so, you know, both as a player and a character, if you're here on page 10, the question is not going to be, was S.H.I.E.L.D. really too busy to fix this? The question is going to be, why are there swastikas on my time machine? <laughs> who's, who's responsible for this? Did skinheads vandalize us in the time vortex? Or does S.H.I.E.L.D. have a personnel problem that I didn't know about? So anyway, the swastikas, the dumbest thing in this page, despite everything, despite the author not knowing the rules, despite the fact that we're sitting here playing logic games in the first session, despite this piddling clue that the author has put virtually off limits out of a combination of stinginess and failure to grasp the rule system, it's pretty hard to beat superheroes flying out on a desperate rescue mission through time with their time vessel covered in swastikas for no reason. So that's got to be the dumbest thing. Anyway, after that, there's nothing left but some karma awards, depending on how well you did the logic puzzle. And then you're off to 1871. But we're not going to be talking about cowboy stuff quite yet. Join me next time when the author just kicks us around a little bit before letting us see the Wild West stuff on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. This episode's theme music, used under Creative Commons license, is Western Firefight 2 by Kula, whose work you can find at kula.com. That's C-U-L-L-A-H dot com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>